Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Man, good to see you, One Hope. We're going to continue this morning, so let me tell you a little bit about Amber and I. We um, live in a house in Northport in a neighborhood. We moved there in 2009. It's actually our second home. Uh, when we first moved here in 2005, we lived in another smaller neighborhood, but we moved in 2009, and, and this has been a perfectly fine home for us. Uh, there have been times when we've thought about moving for different reasons and, and whatnot, but one of the reasons that we really decided that was the home we're going to stay in is because while we live in a neighborhood— the back of our home was backed up to the woods, to, to, to the forest there. And as time has gone on, the trees have gotten thicker. The, it just when we're, when we're sitting out back, it's nice to um, not see all the homes around us that we get to see that kind of view. Well, from time to time, not very often at all, we would hear some things back there. From time to time, we would look back, and all of a sudden, we'd see a deer pop out. And that's cool. Like, okay, once again, I'm like, I'm living in a neighborhood. You know, you know those were lots of houses around, but all of a sudden, there's a deer. That's cool. So we'd watch it, but then go away. And I'd tell people, I'd be like, hey, there's a deer in the backyard, that, you know, this morning. Like, you know, whatever. They said, Scott, you know, if you just threw some corn back there, they would come all the time. Okay, all right. I, I didn't do it for years. I just like, ah, whatever. I just didn't do it I, until it, maybe a couple months ago. I was like, you know what? I'll throw some corn. Let's just see what happens. So I go and, and I get the big bag and I walk up there and I, and I throw a bunch out. The next morning, I look out. All of a sudden, I see a deer. Now, I've thrown a bunch out there, so it's like a buffet for this deer. Yeah, he's living good. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so he's in. I'm like, oh, that's cool. The next morning I look out, there's two of them. I'm like, okay. And I just stand there and I watch a little bit, like, you know, city boy Scott. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm standing there watching the deer. And, and, and third day, more deer are coming. This is eventually what my house looks like. You have the picture up there. This is the back. All of a sudden. And I'm like, look at this. All of a sudden, there's deer in my back, in my backyard. There's a handful of them. And I think, that, like, why did they come to my backyard? Now, you know, I'm not a hunter, right? Like, we know, like, I don't have the patience to sit up there and wait. That's just not how I'm wired, okay? You want to take me fishing? I'll go fishing with you. But I'm not hunting because, like, I can't just sit there and not do anything. And, but I've got some hunter friends, and I had conversation. I'm like, listen, why all of a sudden we go from one to, to that? And they're like, Scott... They know how to communicate just like us. They know how to communicate. Like, deer communicate to each other when there's some danger, I guess. They, they communicate when something is needed, and, and they communicate when they need some food. So this is how I picture this. Deer number one comes and sees the buffet, the, the spread that Scott has put out. You know what I'm saying? And he goes back to his fellow deer, and he's like, listen... Y'all hungry? Come follow me. I know where the food is. And so one day it goes from one deer to eight. And I begin to think, is there something I can learn about what happened in my backyard? 
Is there something I can learn? I think there is, and we'll see what that is today because we're going to continue this conversation we've been having all of 2024, this series called Anchored. And I told you last week, for some reason, this conversation has provided the most feedback maybe I've had of any series. Can I read a text I got from a mom this past week? Can I read it to you? It says this. So, so, so it's the mom writing to me, and she says, Yesterday, leaving church. And she puts her son name. I'm not allowed to put the son, say the son. The son, he says, Mom, that was amazing. I don't want this series to end. And she said, we all agree, by the way, just thought you'd like to know the 13-year-olds are paying attention, and they definitely need this series. Thank you. Now, why do I tell you that? It's not like, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Like, why am I telling you this? There seems to be something going on that God is speaking to us as a church. There's something going on where God is planting seeds in our lives, and I don't want you to miss them, because it seems as he's planting these seeds is to grow something in us this year to, 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 to speak to us of where he wants to take us next. So my prayer has been every week that we do grow. My prayer every week has been that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and it reveals truths, it reveals things that make sense, that it goes past the idea of just, okay, I get it, that's truth, and it goes to making decisions in life. It goes past just ideas, actual decisions. I read on social media this week, this post someone put, it says, it doesn't matter how many people show up to church on Sunday. What matters is how many people leave differently as a result of being there. And so that's been my prayer for you this week. My hope for us every week is that we make life-changing decisions. And in this case, we're making life-changing decisions about anchors we're going to put down in our life. We're making decisions of anchors that we're putting down so that God can move us to the place he has next for us instead of drifting aimlessly into a life of regrets. Instead of living or drifting aimlessly into a life that has no purpose. And so if you're a guest this week, I'm so glad you're here, but we're in the seventh anchor of nine. We got two more after this, okay? Seventh anchor of nine. And so where we've been so far is we're talking about the anchor of God's truth, God's word in our life, that we live not by our truth, even by our experiences, by what we think about. There's a truth greater than us. We, we live by the anchor of the freedom in Christ, an anchor of a life of servanthood, an anchor of forgiveness through confession and repentance an anchor of prayer to intensify our relationship with god and then last week an anchor of holiness that is only lived by the grace of god but now we move on to this week and i'm going to frame this week as kind of a continuation okay i'm going to frame this week um can i call it part two moving from last week now i want to remind you of last week that we believe that we are people that need to surrender our lives to Jesus and ask for forgiveness for our sins. We believe that here. But I also believe that this is not the end, this is not the stopping point, that we talk about it around here as this is the launching point in life. As I said last week, that as followers of Jesus, 
We don't need to settle for phrases that just say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I think often we settle for that when Scripture actually tells us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we actually are called holy and blameless. That we are more than sinners when we give our life to Jesus, that we actually can be transformed into his likeness, into what Peter told us in, in his book, First Peter, that be holy because God is holy. This is the journey for our life. This is something that should drive us. This is something we ask the Holy Spirit to work in us. This is what we go for. We're not going to settle for anything less. It's like author... Uh, Ray Vanderland says this. Here's a quote. A disciple is someone who seeks not only to know what his master knows, but also to do what his master does. So last week was the beginning of talking about this idea of holiness, this idea of being set apart, this idea of, of who we are as a person as we're following Jesus. But we're going to make the transition this week, and we're going to talk about holiness part two, but the transition is not who we are, it's going to be how we live, or more specifically, how we live on mission, how do we live with a purpose, not just in our character, but every day. Or I would say, why do you wake up in the morning? My question, my first one for today is, how did Jesus call us to live set apart? How did Jesus call us to live differently in regards to purpose and mission? There's a disciple, Matthew. You've probably heard of Matthew. Matthew was the former tax collector. Matthew was the Jewish man that was hated by people because he was a tax collector. But then he begins to follow Jesus. And Matthew writes a book. You know the New Testament. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew's the first gospel. He wrote it in approximately 85 AD. Matthew wrote his book because um, the life that he lived, everybody has their experiences. He wanted his fellow Jewish people to understand that Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for. They don't need to reject him. He did come. He did die. He did rise again. And so we see as he writes his book, we see his purpose. We see how he processes through this. And as he writes, you see he writes about moments he had with Jesus. You see he writes about things that Jesus did in the miraculous way. We see that he writes about Jesus and his lineage, where he comes from. He just, he shares about the life of Jesus. And so he walks through all of this, and how the Bible's broken down for us, there are 28 chapters. And so all this in his book leads to the very last paragraph. Matthew 28, I want to show you how he ends his letter. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think it's interesting to look and see how each of the writers of the Gospels ended their, like, their declaration on who Jesus was. I think it's interesting to see how they end. the last words seem to be so important. If you look at Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke, you'll see their letters end with what we call the ascension, Jesus leaves. If you look at the end of John's Gospel, he says something about, like, I, I can't even tell you all the things that Jesus did. The, the books, they're not enough books to, um, to, to allow us to see every move that Jesus did throughout his life. Then Matthew, he ends it by saying the 11. Now, why just the 11? 12 disciples, right? The 11, because Judas now is not part of the scene. Because the 11 disciples were going to the mountain post-death and resurrection. The disciples were going to the mountain that Jesus told them to go to, and this wasn't a, just a simple meeting. This isn't just a simple meeting without complication or out purpose. You know, it says that, that some were even not really sure about what is going on. It says there were some people doubted. I don't totally know what they were doubting in the moment, but he wrote it. So there must have been something going on there. They're trying to figure out what is happening, what is next. And, but Jesus, according to Matthew, is giving this final conversation with his disciples. You've, um, I don't know if you've been a part of before, but maybe you've seen before kind of a, we call it a passing of the baton ceremony. You, you know what that is, right? You ever seen that before where a leader is uh, leaving something, a business organization, whatever, and, and they've been raising up other leaders and, and they look and it's almost they pass the baton and said, now it's your turn. I'm moving on to something else. Now it's your turn. This is a passing baton kind of moment. Jesus is looking at them saying, I'm the leader. I have all the authority, which is very important. I'm the leader, and I have all the authority. But he's saying, I'm passing this on to you. A very simple, but I think purposeful directive. You need to live out the mission that you saw I lived out when I was with you. And it's very simple. Go and make disciples. Everywhere you go, go and make disciples. Just like I did with you. And I don't know if this happened. But I do wonder, as Jesus is having these last conversations, do they think back to the moment where he called them to follow him? Do they think back to the moments and all the things that Jesus has taught them when he is saying to them, now you go and do what I did in your life. And as people become disciples, I want two things to happen. I want you to baptize them, and then I want you to teach them how to follow me. I want you to teach them what it means to obey me. And then he says to them, a probably very reassuring sentence, he said, but don't forget, I'm going to be with you until the end. 
I'm going to be with you while you go through all of this. These words of Matthew are probably very familiar. For some of you, you could recite this. Many of you could give me the picture of what happened, even if it's not word for word. But I'm going to make an argument today. I'm going to make an argument today that this is something that many of us know, but for maybe more than we'd like to admit, it is unknown how, when, and where to walk this out in life. There's a research company called Barna Research, and, and they do things through uh, research, the church and culture and whatnot. And one of the things I read that they um, had put out is that 24% of all Christians, people say they're followers of Jesus, have never been um, taught the practice of disciple making. That had never been put to them as something to live in life. A f one fourth of people said they had never been pushed or challenged to live out Jesus' last words in the book of Matthew. Something he asked them to do. And I wonder myself, why is that? I want you to hear me out on this. Why is that? And I wonder if it's because we've made a little mistake in the church. That what you often focus on is the thing that gets done. And I wonder about our focus. I wonder that if we focus so much on getting people to heaven when they die, that we forget to talk about how to live while we're here. I think sometimes I wonder if our focus is so much on the gospel of Jesus being that he died for you that we forget that Jesus also said. Jesus also said, you aren't just called to be a disciple. You are called to make more disciples. That we focus on one to the neglect of the other. We talk about one and we make it very personal. And we talk a lot about afterlife. And we don't challenge each other. We don't push each other about the life we're living right now. And this is not the only time Jesus would make comments like this, statements like this. In, an, in another sermon, we call it Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this to the people, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The movement of Christianity that has changed the world happened because people over time have decided that they're going to take the challenge. This is also called the Great Commission. This command from Jesus that they would take it very seriously. 
that the understanding is that Jesus was the only one that could come and save the world, but he chooses his followers to be the one that spread the word about what he came to do. One person can do the work of saving this world and every person that ever walks it, but Jesus has decided his followers are going to be the ones that spread the word of who he is and how this happened. That the story is, it starts with Jesus asking people to follow him, but it ends with saying, now you're going to represent me, and you are going to live the life that I lived on this earth, and I have lived on a mission and purpose. There's a simple question this morning for you. If you look at your life, would there be evidence of Matthew 28 being lived out? When you wake up in the morning, do you ever think about the words that Jesus said near the end of his time on earth? Saying, you are not just a disciple, you are a disciple maker does this ever cross your mind if jesus were to look at my life would there be evidence played out of his calling for you and me but what would this look like what would this look like if you're wondering am i doing it or how do i even go about doing it? if you're saying matthew 28 really should be that important that Jesus did say, here's the baton, now you take it. How do I go about doing that? Well, we could have this conversation in a hundred different ways. But I want to boil it down just to three words for you this morning. If you want to write these down to remind yourself. What does it take to be a disciple maker? The three words are a worshiper, a servant, and a witness. A worshiper, servant, and a witness. What is necessary is to be a worshiper, which means disciple-making starts with you knowing, loving, and obeying God yourself. To become a disciple-maker is you becoming a worshiper, worshiper yourself, that you have decided that you are going to obey, love, and give yourself to God over everything else in this world. You know why? Because you can't take someone to somewhere you haven't been. And the question is, is are you a worshiper? Not just a believer in Jesus, but actually a follower and an obeyer of Jesus. You cannot disciple someone to being a disciple of Jesus if what? You are not one yourself. It's pretty simple. But we have to do some reflection. If I want to live out Matthew 28, if I want to live out this thing that God is, that Jesus had called his followers to do, it starts with me. Am I actually a worshiper of God myself? Do I know, love, and obey God above everything else? And this is not about perfection, this is about pursuit. Is this a pursuit that you have? See, maybe disciple-making is not on your radar, 
Because maybe this is something you're actually still wrestling with. Maybe it's hard to make more disciples when you aren't convinced at the deepest level the number one thing in life is for me to be someone who knows, loves, and obeys God myself. I can't raise up someone to do this if I'm still undecided in me. And so Jesus gives a command, and we see it, and, and even you trust it. But maybe you can't do it because you're still in that place of discovery. But are you a worshiper in your life? The second one is a servant. The second one is a servant. Disciple making calls us to meet people where they are and pour ourselves out for them. Paul talks about this in one of his letters to the church where he, where he says those words, I pour myself out because he has given himself away. He pours himself out and gives himself away because he sees there's a purpose bigger than just life being about him. Now Jesus, when he walked this earth, we see the stories in the Gospels where it says people began to follow him everywhere they went. People seemed to be very attracted to Jesus as a leader. They didn't totally know who he was or what he was all about, but there's something about him. And I think one of the big things about Jesus was he was different than any other leader, maybe person that people had come in contact with before. Because in the stories of Jesus... He put the people at the center of the moment, the center of the story, when most of the time people, other people put themselves at the center of the story. Jesus was all about serving people, and there was something about how he lived that people were like, I like this in you. I'm attracted to this person that you are, this character that you have. And so we look at this life of Jesus, and, I, and sometimes I think we get confused. Because to be a disciple maker doesn't take a title. It doesn't really take a skill set. It doesn't take a certain IQ or a degree. It takes someone saying, I'm going to be a worshiper of God. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to be filled by the Spirit, and I'm going to serve others every moment that I can. To be a disciple maker, put yourself second in life. And this is where often the problem lies. It's hard to pour yourself out for other people when you are thinking about, how do I get? It's hard to give yourself away to other people and to make disciples when you are thinking, how do I get more from life? And Jesus just did not live a life that way. But I think when we begin to pour ourselves up, when we begin to serve other people, what naturally happens is conversations arise we never could have before. Open doors can happen that we never had before. There's something that happens when people go, there is something about you, and I think one of the greatest 
greatest attributes of Jesus was that he came to serve, not be served. And people saw it, and they're like, I, I want to be around you. I want to know what you are about. So this morning, contemplate, are you living out Matthew 28? It starts with, are you a worshiper yourself? Do you know, love, and obey Jesus yourself? But secondly, has that turned you into someone to be others-centered versus yourself? Do you meet people where they are so you can invest in their life? And I said there's a third one, a witness, a witness. Disciple-making calls us to give a testimony to the truth of God in our every word and deed. Do you know, do you know that people are always watching you? And do you know that every moment of your life tells a story? I don't think we want to think about this often. That every moment of your life tells a story what you believe, what you trust, what you care about, what's important. Your life tells a story. And often it is not the words that you say, it is the actions that people see every day. Um, this uh, Jackson, my senior in high school, we, we love basketball and we do basketball stuff together. Yesterday I uh, went to the Bama game and very it's really fun and 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 bama gets 100 and it didn't matter up by 25 but it's exciting you know like it, we just enjoy doing this week and a half ago um his season was over but we've got some friends who who were still playing and bryant and northridge were playing the area championship at bryant so we said okay let's just go let's go watch so we walk in we say hi to a few people and whatever and but Jackson and I tend to stand on the baseline. We just stand there. We just were talking, and um, I had two conversations really that night. I had a conversation with him, and then don't worry, I did let the refs know about what I thought of the game there too, but always two conversations. But we're standing there, and my buddy Dave, Dave was taking pictures for the city, and he turns and he goes, Scott, um, turn let me take a picture of you and Jackson I'm like that's cool and so took a picture and, th and this is what the picture looks like here so we Jackson's very happy to be with me <laughs> we're just we're just hanging out and um it was great I mean just I, I'll take any moment to get a picture of Jackson and spend time with him but the night continued and whatever and we went home we got some got some food went home and it was done and the next day i got an email um from my friend dave and i expected it because i knew he'd send me the picture but in the email there was not one picture there was another picture that i didn't know he took this is the picture <laughs> at what point At what point did Jackson begin to do this simple gesture? I didn't talk about this. I didn't teach him this. Say, Jackson, this is how we stand. <laughs> I look at this picture knowing what I'm talking about today. 
I look and I go, whoa, like, my boy is 18. He's obviously learned that from me. But what else has he learned? What else in life does this visible picture show that he is mirroring his dad? And so I process this, I think about this, but then I ask you, the question that needs to be asked from that is, if someone watches you, talks to you, and the results of your life is they begin to mirror it, what is created? Would they look more like Jesus if they look more like you? 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1, Paul says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul says, follow me as I'm following Christ. I, I want you to live this way. Could you say that sentence? Could you say that sentence? Would someone become more like Jesus if they were following your example? We are called to be a witness in Acts 1 verses 8. Jesus, Luke is writing Acts and he is giving his story of how things played out and um, he's talking about this conversation Jesus had with, uh, I think, a bunch of disciples and he says to them, I'm leaving, but you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the entire world. You're going to do it. The world isn't going to be changed if you aren't my witnesses. Which means how you live in your homes. How you live at work. How you live in conversations at things like basketball games and baseball games and just hanging out in other people's homes. You are the witnesses of who Jesus is, what he came to do. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them how to obey me. You are going to do it. The world was changed because people took this challenge seriously. Later in the book of Acts, there's a, a boy named Stephen who was killed stoned to death after this scripture says that people the Christians were scared obviously and so they scattered all over the known world this is one of the greatest things that ever happened to Christianity because this word truth of Jesus spread beyond Jerusalem and went into all these places that people ran to. Why? Because they took the truth of Jesus with them and they were witnesses in where they went because they were worshipers. 
because there was a heart of serving. And they said, no, we are going to share what we knew that Stephen died for. We're going to share it with the world. I really enjoy seeing those deer in my backyard. In the mornings, I get up and I look out the window to see if they're there. They don't know that I'm there, but they've learned that behind my house, there is food. And this food feeds the hunger that's inside of them. I said to you, what can I learn? I think there's a hunger around us. I didn't know those deer were all in those woods. Those, but I put food out there, and they're like, I want this. I think we've got a world that is hungry, and they're satisfying their hunger on things that in reality aren't satisfying. That eat meals every day on things that don't last, and there is a hunger for more. And I'm just wondering if we want to live our lives so much that we begin to give out things that actually feed people's real hunger. There's hunger out there because I've seen it. Throughout the course of history, people learning about Jesus from other people has changed lives. But it ends with two questions, and the first one is, are you a disciple yourself? Because you can't take somebody you haven't been, a place you haven't been. Are you a disciple? Do you know? Do you love? Do you obey Jesus? Not in perfection, but in pursuit. Are you a disciple? And two, do you have a desire? Will you intentionally look for ways to be a disciple maker? Because I'll tell you as a church, I believe we should come together like this every week but we should have a mindset that we're sent into a world not just to be a disciple, but to have a mindset that says, I want to make disciples because this is what Jesus has called me to in every word and every deed. I just want to put another anchor in front of us that can we be anchored to holiness, part two, but not in who we are, what sets us apart in how we live on mission? I believe some of you are not satisfied in life, and the first step is you need to become a disciple to receive forgiveness in Jesus. He has died for you. He has a new life for you. But the second is you may be bored. You may be living life aimlessly. You may be chasing things that are not satisfying. And I'm telling you, you begin to wake up and say, Jesus, how are you going to use my life to make more disciples, to, 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 to make people understand your great you begin to process life this way it will change things for you as well the things you once cared for you're not going to care as much about 
But some have never looked at life this way. And I would like to put an anchor in the ground to say, tomorrow you wake up, it's going to be with a new purpose. Tomorrow you go live and do your jobs and be with your people, but for a little bit of difference. That people see a disciple and hear what a disciple cares about, hear what a disciple, what makes them tick, hear the message of Jesus, the hope that you have. Because I promise you, people are watching. The problem is, when they're watching you, if they mirrored your life, what would be, what would be produced? Ask yourself that question. And so, God, um, it's really simple. This morning's message was very simple. We take the words of Jesus and we decide, do we put them into action? It's really simple. Do we take the words of Jesus? He says, do this. Are we going to or not? As a follower of Jesus, you know I do not believe there's a non-disciple-making follower of Jesus. Just what we do, God. Help us to see opportunities. Help us to, on a deeper level, become a worshiper of you, that we worship you above everything else in this earth. That, God, we would begin to walk through life with the filter that says if people really followed my example where would that take them what would that create in them God help us today if we're the parents in the room to be a disciple maker in their home first and foremost God help us in our workplaces every day that we are disciple makers help us when we're doing just hobbies and out in the world God that people see something in us that would satisfy them at a deeper level because Jesus you have filled us and your spirit is at work in us God our life is yours Help us to live that out every day. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.